from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Become a member for free on both on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. You can become a member for free. It's free and easy. Down the road we go. MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. You're listening in. You click on follow, it'll prompt you to create a account. It only takes a few seconds. And once you create that account, you will be connected with the show in two huge ways. Number one, you can chat with me in the live chat room. And number two, you'll never miss a live show again because you will be sent a direct link to your email on all devices saying, would you like to listen now? And all you have to do is click yes in your email and you're set and ready to go. So I'm very excited about that and excited about the opportunity of connecting with the show there for you. Outside of that on wakeupcalldt.com, you can subscribe, which will give you updates when things are added to wakeupcalldt.com, or you can become a member for free. Members are allowed to comment on the stories, so make sure you do that as well to bring yourself connected with the show with the videos that we do with the articles, over 400 of them, and everything else 24-7 on wakeupcalldt.com. So, mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt and wakeupcalldt.com. Make sure you do both, and thank you so much for being here. Happy Monday morning. It's December 4th, December Quattro. Hope you're doing well, and I'm hoping that you had a great weekend. It's crazy to believe that I was sitting here in studio on Friday doing a show and from Friday's broadcast to today's broadcast, and as you know, the show is live Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, so we didn't miss a broadcast in the midst of all this, but from Friday's show to sitting here with you this morning, here's the crazy thing about what's happened in between. I left here on Friday, flew down to Florida, Got down to Florida and went to bed, you know, got some Chick-fil-A, went to bed, got up, drove to the University of Central Florida, covered the American Athletic Championship between Memphis and Central Florida, wrote the story, stayed there, interviewed Scott Frost, interviewed Trey Neal, who had the game-winning interception, interviewed Riley Ferguson, who was a phenomenal quarterback in the loss on Memphis's side. So I did all of that, and then they tell us, if you stick around for 6 o'clock, now the game started at noon, mind you, and I had been there since 11. And they said, if you want to stick around for 6 o'clock, we're going to be doing an announcement. You know, we're going to have our athletics director, Danny White, come downstairs and make an announcement. So, I'm there. And I said, you know what? I might as well stay because obviously it's going to be about Scott Frost. So it was less than an hour after hearing from Scott Frost. I go downstairs and the team announces that Scott Frost has taken the job with Nebraska. 
and that he's officially gone. But he may come back for the bowl game, which we'll get into in just a little bit. So all of that happens within a very short period of time. I hang around for that. I was already writing a Scott Frost story with anticipation that he was leaving for Nebraska. Finish that story. Put that story out. You can read them both on the Right Now page of wakeupcalldt.com. So did all of that. And at the end of all of those pieces, I had the opportunity to, you know, kind of relax and, and hang out. And I had done my work for Wake Up Call, right? I had... We had done the fantasy football show. Your fantasy football advice was out there. Had gone to the UCF Memphis game. Had spoken with the commissioner. Had spoken with Scott Frost. Did all this work. Got it all done. Put the stories out. Had a great time. Then I drove back to my hotel, which was on Disney property. And I decided that because all the Disney parks were closed at this point, since I had been working for like nine hour minimum, that I was going to go hang out at downtown Disney. So I went and I got some Christmas shopping done, did this, that, and the other, got myself something to eat. And then after all of that, I went to bed, woke up the next morning, which was yesterday, said to myself, I got a flight today in the middle of the day, but I'm not missing out on going to the Disney parks. I came down here to Orlando. How am I not going to go to Disney when I'm down here in Orlando? So that prompted me to say, well, first and foremost, I wanted to go to Hollywood Studios because I was looking for this, this Pluto bucket and I wanted to find the Pluto bucket, the Pluto popcorn bucket, which I didn't find, mind you, very sad, but I wanted to go over there and check and see if it was there. So I went over to Hollywood Studios, popped on Star Tours, awesome experience. I'm not going to get too much into everything because I'm going to do a show about it for Superpowered Pop, because I did the unthinkable. So I went from Hollywood Studios to Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, I said, okay, I want to go to Magic Kingdom. How can you not go to Magic Kingdom when it's Christmas time? And then I was done with Magic Kingdom a little bit earlier than I thought I was going to be, and I said, okay, well, I still have some time. I could probably, within the hour, make it to Epcot. I did four parks, all four Disney parks, in five hours. I went to all four Walt Disney World parks in five hours. This is something that I've thought about doing before over the last couple of years, and it happened, and I did it, and I'm ecstatic, and I'm super proud of myself. So, heck yes, it happened. And so, that, that was a ton of fun for me. So, I did it. I accomplished that. That was a feat that I was trying to accomplish, and so I did that. And it was someone, and like I said, we're going to do a show on superpoweredpop.com about it. So make sure that you hang out and, and listen into that. But it was, it was exhilarating. Four parks, five, four parks, five hours, went to the airport, got on the plane, came back home, and I'm here with you this morning. So from the last broadcast to this broadcast, I have been to the American Athletic Conference Championship game. I've covered Scott Frost leaving UCF for Nebraska. I've gone to downtown Disney. I've done Christmas shopping, and I did four parks in five hours. So, amen. It was fun. I can't believe, I really honestly, I can't. Sitting here on the radio this morning, I'm like, did I do all that stuff in like two days? It really, I mean, it was two days. It's all, it was Saturday and Sunday. All I did Friday night was get myself some Chick-fil-A and pop into bed. So, 
yeah, it was crazy. But don't ever let somebody tell you you can't accomplish something. As long as you're doing good out there, go chase it. Because I accomplished something. I accomplished a lot of things. Got a lot of Christmas shopping done. I've realized that I bought my wife like 152 things. So I think she's done. I feel like I'll probably buy her something else. I love my wife. And, you know, she really, she doesn't ask me for much of anything. She asked me to spend time with her. She asked me to not work too hard. She asked me to be good to myself and to love myself and to never let anybody bother me because I'm too good of a person and I have a big heart and there's no reason why I shouldn't love myself and be good to myself. That's all my wife ever asks of me. She doesn't say, I want this thing. I want this. I want that. She doesn't say any of that to me. She says, I love you. She says, take care of yourself. Don't work too hard. And remember that Lily and I are here hanging out with you. So I have a good life. I hope that you had fun. I hope that you enjoyed yourself because I most certainly did. And it was a great time. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things. So on today's morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, there is so much for me to get into. First and foremost, we're going to be discussing Syracuse's first loss of the season for men's basketball, which happened against Kansas. We're going to do that in just a moment here. After that, we are going to get into a lot of other things, and I'm, and I'm very I'm very excited about what we're going to be talking about on today's show. I, a lot of stuff going on. Listen, I'm always excited to come on the broadcast and to talk about anything. So, you know, for me, I love every single day. I love hanging out with you. I love being here with you. And I thank you for tuning into the broadcast. So, there, of course, there's a ton for us to discuss, and there's a lot going on in this world of college football and we're going to jump into that in just a moment before we go there like i said we're going to speak on syracuse's loss to kansas and then after we speak on syracuse's loss to kansas it is college football crazy which means that we are going deep into this thing and on today's broadcast inside of the morning menu proudly presented by the market diner on 2100 park street in syracuse new york in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, you're going to hear my take on the college football playoff committee's top four, the future of the college football playoff, bowl pairings, and more right after we talk about Syracuse, Kansas in the first hour here. And then after that, you and I will start off the second hour speaking on the American Athletic Conference Championship double overtime thriller that pitted an 11-0 team against a 10-1 team. That'll happen live at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Speaking on UCF football, Memphis, everything surrounding it, my thoughts on athletic directors' decisions, my thoughts on Twitter, my thoughts on social media, where social media goes wrong, and so much more coming up in just a little bit. And I will also discuss my, well, I will share with you, I should say, and discuss my Q&A with Scott Frost after winning the American Athletic Conference Championship game. I asked him his first question in his final press conference. You'll also hear from Trey Neal, who had the game-winning interception in double overtime, and you'll hear from the quarterback on the other side of things, Riley Ferguson, in just a little bit. And then we're going to expand out a little bit on today's show. We're not going to end at 11 a.m. because the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference is available to speak with us live 
at 11 a.m. Eastern time today. So we're going to carry all that through to 11. The normal part of the, the normal show is 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. But we're going to go a little bit beyond that today. At 11 a.m. Eastern time, I will be joined by the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco following the American Championship, the Bull designations, and Scott Frost's departure. So you don't want to miss a moment of that. We're going to discuss the potential snub. I think it's a snub. So we'll discuss that. There's only one undefeated team out of 130 FBS schools. That is UCF. And they were not allowed into the college football playoffs. So we will discuss that. We will discuss where the Power Six is heading, if the Power Six conversation is real. His thoughts on UCF Athletic Director Danny White saying Power Six over and over and over again when speaking on his team and on finding a new coach after Scott Frost. We'll speak on Scott Frost's departure, the departure of coaches throughout the years of the American and what that does, as well as the bowl designations and his thoughts on where teams are heading. So, huge game going on with UCF and Auburn at the Peach Bowl. Very, very excited about that one. So, so much to talk about, so much to get into in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. So, with that being said, I am ecstatic, 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 ecstatic to begin this show with you, and I thank you so much for tuning in. So, let's get started. Syracuse, over the weekend, went and played their first road game of the season, and typically when Syracuse goes on the road, well, I mean, I shouldn't say typically because this is an atypical team. So, you know, this was the first test for this team with four true freshmen uh, following the fact that, you know, Geno Thorpe is no longer with the team. So that was another thing that came out that Geno Thorpe is not with the team anymore. Now, he hadn't really been playing that much. I want to go into his statistics right now. In an analysis of that, Geno Thorpe really wasn't getting a lot of time out there. Now, there's an interesting thing, though, because Howard Washington had been sitting. And the thought was, okay, well, maybe they'll redshirt Howard Washington. But now they don't have Geno Thorpe. I want to look at Geno Thorpe's statistics this season. Now, Geno, through six games, he didn't play in this last game at Syracuse, He's averaging 14 minutes, 6 points in 14 minutes, an assist per game, a steal per game. Not shooting that bad, about 37%, but he decided to leave the team, which has prompted Syracuse to have to move forward without him. Now, he's the only grad transfer on the team. Syracuse came into the season with four true freshmen, uh, Pascal Chukwu returning from eye surgery, Matthew Moyer playing his first time after being redshirted last year, and Tyus Battle coming back as a sophomore, Frank Howard coming back as a junior. So, not a ton of experience on this team. So, Howard Washington did get in this game. He got in for eight minutes. He had one point, one rebound, and really nothing else. He missed two of the threes that he took, but he's involved in a short bench right now. There's only eight players on Syracuse's team. There was nine scholarship players out there for Syracuse for this season. There's another scholarship that is an outlier. The 10th scholarship was Elijah Hughes. He's from East Carolina. He transferred over from East Carolina. He's got three seasons left, but he has to sit out this season because he's not a grad transfer. 
So due to NCAA rules, he cannot play this year. So there is another person that is on the roster for Syracuse that is scholarshiped, but he's invisible this season because the scholarship counts against the team, but he is not playing on the team right now because he has to sit out due to NCAA rules. So they only have eight players to go to, and the honesty of it all is it's really only a seven-man team because Howard Washington really hasn't gotten many opportunities. Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett are 40-minute guys, and so is Frank Howard at this point. Marek Dolezal playing about half the game, and Barama Sidibe, depending on his fouls, he's out there playing as well. Now, he picked up two fouls in this game against Kansas, which was really good because you consider the physicality and the emotions and the nerves going into this game were higher probably than games prior to for for uh, Barama Sidibe. So it's a very short bench. So beyond this game, outside of even discussing Syracuse's 16-point loss, you have to look at the fact that Syracuse, as far as what Bayheim has been doing lately, they I only consider them to be a seven-man team because of the fact that we are where we stand right now, and there really hasn't been a lot of Howard Washington out there. You know, Howard Washington Jr. has been sitting for whatever reason. He's been left off of a lot of the decisions that Jim Beheim has been making with this team, and they've moved forward without really leaning on him at all or having him out there at all. So, you know, to look at this roster and to say, okay, it's it's only seven players, which means there's only two coming off the bench that help you, which means that Syracuse has to stay out of foul trouble. You know, it's funny how Geno Thorpe leaves the team and he really wasn't doing much of anything and was insignificant. I shouldn't say insignificant. But he wasn't leading the team, really, in in any area. And he was coming off the bench. So, you know, he wasn't doing anything on this team where you look back and go, oh my God, you know, they lose him, they lose everything. But, at the same time, with him not being there, he shortens the bench. And when you shorten the bench, you affect the team, potentially in a very negative way. Because now, you're changing Jim Beheim's scope, and you're changing what Jim maybe wanted to do with Howard Washington, which was let him sit. So this is where they stand. Matthew Moyer's going to play. He's a starter. O'Shea's going to play, like I said, almost 40 minutes. Frank's going to play 40, just about. Tyus is going to play 40. Pascal is going to start and play back and forth with Barama, and they're probably going to ride. They're going to ride the the hot guy under center, and then Mark Dolajag or Marek, I should say, he's going to play. So it really is a seven man team, and Gino was in there to, you know, help them run the point to get some assists. He didn't do a bad job by any stretch of the imagination. But Howard Washington was the guy that Syracuse had left off, that Bayheim was kind of just tucking away. And now that changes things. So I want you to watch this short bench. I want you to watch how much we really see Howard Washington play and, you know, what this does to the dynamic of the team because it looked like Bayheim was going to just save him. It looked like Bayheim was just going to put him away and keep him for later. And now he doesn't have that opportunity with Geno leaving the team. So it's it's very interesting how Geno Thorpe and, you know, reaching out to Geno, there's nothing coming from him right now. 
There's nothing. It said that he left for personal reasons. And uh, Ectocore said Gino was a good utility player that you could count on to give guys a rest. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm heading with this. Like I said, he wasn't he he wasn't somebody who was out there changing the game for Syracuse. He wasn't somebody out there that was leading in scoring for Syracuse or leading in rebounding for Syracuse, but he was someone who offered you an opportunity to give Frank a break or give Tyus a break or you know just to go out there and if you want to run a, a smaller group to keep in Frank and Tyus and take O'Shea out and give O'Shea a breather or take Matthew Moyer out, it puts pressure on everybody else. Right? O'Shea's been taking care of business, and so has Frank, and so has Tyus. But it puts more pre- pressure on Marek. It puts pressure on Pascal and Barama, even more so, because they really honestly have to stay out of foul trouble. And, of course, it puts pre- it puts pressure on Matthew Moyer because he's got to score more. You know, Matthew's... the the Frank's been taking care of business. Tyus and O'Shea have been taking care of business. But now you look at your you look at your bench and you say, okay, well Pascal and Barama, they can't foul out of games because they're helping each other and they're shifting for one another. So the shift is now Marek for Matt, but there's nobody to shift for Frank or Tyus unless Howard steps up. You have to look at the shifts that you're going to have, and you could shift in Dolajag for Moyer. You can shift in Chukwu for Sidibe or vice versa. Frank, Tyus, O'Shea are going to play the majority of the game. So that means that Howard, if something happens with Frank Howard or Tyus Battle or O'Shea or they want to go smaller or Matthew Moyer's not working out and Dolezal isn't doing well or if something happens on the inside and Chukwu and Barama Sidibe foul out of a game, which has happened, and you have to move Marek inside, then it's on Howard Washington as a true freshman who hasn't had a lot of experience to get the job done. And that is going to create a great opportunity for Howard, but he has to pick it up and he has to do something with it immediately. So what Gino did to this team was essentially make them miss him to a point where it can shake up not just the backcourt, but the frontcourt. Because the dynamic of the team is going to be different now, which is crazy. So, no longer with the team for personal reasons, and he has been mum on what those personal reasons are. And I really hope the best for him. This was his final season that he had, and he was coming from the University of South Florida. He had an opportunity to do something special here. Syracuse obviously saw what they got out of John Gillen III and Andrew White III, but at the end of the day, Gino is no longer a part of the team, and they have to learn how to move on without him. Take a comment here. I think they made the necessary adjustments late in the game. Game got too far out of reach by the start of the second half, especially against a team like Kansas. Yeah, and you know, you know the thing with Kansas is that you can't spot Kansas anything. You can't. You can't give them any type of a lead because they're going to take advantage. You know, Kansas, Michigan State, Duke, teams like that. Where if you give them a little bit, now they don't have a deep bench. They only played three as well. 
but they leaned heavily on senior guard Devontae Graham, who took care of business in a massive way. He's averaging under 19 points a game. He had 35 in this game. 35 points in 40 minutes, 10 of 17, 7 of those coming from 3-point range, where he was 7 of 13. So this is two games in a row where Syracuse has played a team that had somebody shooting lights out from beyond the arc. When they played Kevin Herter a game before in the Maryland game, he was 7 of 9 from deep from long range. Dante Graham, 7 of 13, or Devontae Graham, pardon me, 7 of 13. So this is the second game in a row that Syracuse has played against a team who had a three-point shooter that made seven threes. It took everything they had to beat Maryland. Kansas is too much. They did too much. Now, Syracuse didn't foul a lot. There's only 13 free throws shot by Kansas, but they were 11 of 13 on that. Where the issue came for Syracuse was, although they created 16 turnovers, they had 17 themselves. They only had one block in the game. Syracuse did have nine steals, but they were, and they out-rebounded Kansas 36 to 31. So they did a lot of good things, but it's very, very hard. You look at that. You out-rebound a team. You out-steal a team. But if you turn a team over 16 times and you make 17 turnovers yourself, you're negating everything you did. You turn them over 16 times, you turn over 17 times, now you got them plus one. Put yourself in a bad situation. Now, Syracuse was trailing 57 to 47 when Barama Sidibe put the ball in the basket. But Kansas had a 7-0 run after that, 17-point advantage with 8.18 to go. Syracuse couldn't get it any lower than 9 for the rest of the game. The advantage for Syracuse came earlier in the game. O'Shea Brissett, his 3, 6-5 advantage. The game tied at 16, thanks to Tyus Battle. But then, to start the second half, Kansas had 6 straight points. 49-31 lead with 16.07 to go in the game. Syracuse had an 11-0 run. But eventually, the Jayhawks pulled away. Syracuse made runs, but they spotted too many points. They were down by 14 and a half, 35 to 21. When you're down by 14, you have to make up for all those 14, and you have to condense them in the second half. Syracuse didn't do that. They scored more. They scored 18 points more in the second half, but they also allowed six more points to Kansas. In order to win this game, and I know it's simple mathematics, but it's a true statement. When you spot a team early, you have to flip it in the second half and you have to quiet them because you have to make up for that 14-point deficit or whatever deficit it is and then some because it's not like the team's not going to score any points in the second half, but Syracuse had spotted them too much. Biggest deficit Syracuse has been down going into the second half of any game this season in their seven games. It's their first loss of the season. Hopefully, it'll teach them something. And get them on the right side of things. Now, it wasn't a blowout loss by any stretch of the imagination, 76-60. to 60, What some people thought it would be for Syracuse this season. When they see number two Kansas on the docket for Syracuse and they look at four true freshmen, 
at the time, Geno Thorpe is a grad transfer. Pascal, who hasn't had a bunch of time. Matthew Moyer, who was redshirted last year. And just Tyus and Frank, and not expecting Frank to score a lot this year. From the outside looking in, going into this season, people circled Kansas and probably said that Syracuse will lose by 30. So, dare I say it was a little bit of an eye-opening loss because it looked like an actual game played on neutral ground in Miami. Now, the Jimmy V Classic is up next. Syracuse pulls Connecticut. Now, Connecticut, a longtime rival of Syracuse, is in the American Athletic Conference, and so far, Connecticut has started the season 6-2. and two. They've defeated Colgate, Stony Brook, Boston University. They had a big win over Oregon, 71-63. They lost to Michigan State by 20. They lost to Arkansas, who was unranked by almost 40 points. They lost by 35 in that game. Then they defeated the Columbia Lions, and after that just defeated Monmouth, but only by three points, 84-81. to So this looks like a good game for Syracuse to take advantage of. It doesn't look like Connecticut is extremely strong moving forward here because they've had their moments and they've had to really burst to win these games and even to defeat Columbia it was 77 to 73 so they won some close ones which will teach your team how to re- you know their response to adversity teaches your team a lot it builds grit it builds that satisfaction and appreciation of one another but at the same time they've had some blowout losses and they've gone to the wire so devil's advocate you look at one side of it and say okay well they went to the wire but they took care of business more often than not then you look at the other side of it and say it was Columbia and Monmouth they should be better than that now we have another comment if we are going to lose early in the season speaking on Syracuse I would prefer to lose to a top 10 team good learning experience they played well for a young team after losing a a valuable teammate I agree I am a proponent for those of you that have listened to the show you know this already but I'm a proponent for Syracuse actually testing themselves versus good teams before the ACC. Now, I know the ACC is a gamut, and I know that it's very difficult. Best conference in college basketball, top to bottom. However, you got to play the teams that you're going to see The Oregons, the Kansases, the Oklahomas, the Texas, the Ohio State, the Michigan State, the Florida. You're going to see these teams. Kentucky. And yeah, people say, well, Dan, it's a loss. Yeah, but you know what? A loss by three to Kentucky means a lot more than a 20-point victory over the sisters of the Brotherhood of the San Franciscan Youth Jersey Shore Bartleby Gibbons University which is what Syracuse pads their schedule with at the beginning of the season now for a young team like this who's learning to play together it's it probably means more now than it ever has but at the same time as much as you're gaining experience and getting comfortable with one another, which is good, like I said, maybe more this year than any year in recent history for Syracuse, to play the games that they're playing against the Colgates and the Cornells and the Eastern Michigans and whatnot, it still behooves you, no matter what your team is made up of, to actually get tested. 
So the Kansas test is good. The Maryland test is good. The Connecticut test is good. St. Bonnie's hasn't done bad this year. At Georgetown will be another test. But you have to think about who you're going to be playing. And yeah, it may be a loss, but so what? Play the game. And if you play enough of them, you're going to teach this team how to grind it out. Because the thing is, when they get to the NCAA tournament, they're not seeing Bob's joyride circus clown panel discussion blurb university. I'm literally just putting words together. My mind is is a blur right now. You're not seeing the Strawberry Farms University of Southern Pennsylvania, Eastern Michigan of University of New Jersey College Athletic Technology School. You're seeing Kansas. You're seeing Oregon. You're seeing teams USC that are going to compete. So I like that Syracuse played the game. They only lost by 16 after losing one of their teammates who wasn't on hand for the game. I mean, this, to me, it showed me something about Syracuse. Now, if I'm correct on what it showed me about Syracuse, they'll win against UConn. And if you want to know what that means, make sure you read the upcoming article before Tuesday's game on the Right Now page of wakeupcalldt.com. So Syracuse loses their 6-1, still have started out strong. they got a lot of work to do from here, and they will have Connecticut in the Jimmy B Classic at Madison Square Garden. It was an embarrassing, terrible offensive performance by both teams where UConn just did a little bit more last year. I'm hoping this one's a lot better. Hopefully they get in the 70s, make this game interesting. But like I said, from what I've seen from this team against Kansas and against Maryland, be it one was a loss and one was a win, respectively, If I'm seeing what I'm seeing and it's true, then it looks good for Syracuse against Connecticut. We'll take a step aside here for a fast break. We'll come back to speak on the college football playoff in just a moment. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrysigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, 
lady.com. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513. Or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell him your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Hope you're doing well and enjoying your morning here in December. It is the first full week of December right here inside of Central New York as well as, you know, I want to give a shout out to all my listeners because Central New York, Upstate New York, Syracuse, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, I love you, you know that, you see me all the time, and to the Midwest, to the West Coast, to the East Coast, to outside of the country, I want to thank everybody, I want to, because the thing is, my life takes me all over, and, you know, when we look at the teams that I cover, Central Florida and South Florida and the state of Florida, Temple in Pennsylvania, East Carolina in the Carolinas. In in the honesty of covering, and I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunities that I have to cover the teams I cover, uh, East Carolina and Greenville, North Carolina. So the connection there, as well as to Cincinnati, my coverage in Cincinnati, Ohio, to UConn, obviously, in Connecticut, to Memphis in Tennessee, to Houston in Texas, to Navy in Maryland, to SMU in Texas, to Tulane in Louisiana, to Tulsa and Oklahoma, to Clemson of South Carolina, to NC State of North Carolina, to Wake Forest of North Carolina, to Boston College of Massachusetts, Louisville of Kentucky, Florida State, obviously, of Florida, to Miami of Florida, Virginia Tech of Virginia and Virginia of Virginia, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, Pittsburgh of Pennsylvania, Duke of North Carolina, and of course, North Carolina of North Carolina, Notre Dame of South Bend, Indiana, and of course, Syracuse, you know, and those are just the teams that I cover on a weekly basis. Those are just the teams, only the teams I cover on a weekly basis. 
which is there's 27 of them. So I want to thank all my listeners and all my supporters wherever you are because I get to be everywhere, whether it's making a phone call or physically driving or flying to those places, just like this weekend and covering the the American Athletic Conference Championship game. I love the opportunity. Now, I would be at the ACC and the American. I'd be at both if they weren't on the same day. So what I've done is I flip-flopped. I've done the American. I've done the ACC. And I miss. I always miss the other one when I'm at the other one. But I love both of them. And I appreciate both of them. And I thank both of them for all that they have done. Because they really have gone above and beyond. And they've done a great job. And and the crazy thing about it is that when you look at the American Athletic and the ACC, they're different in the sense of one is regarded as a power five, the ACC, and the American is not. They're on the outside looking in. So I get to see both ends of the spectrum, both sides of the coin. I get to see the push of the American Athletic to get the respect that I believe they've earned already. And then I get to see the ACC who has the respect. So I'm seeing a team on the inside and I'm seeing a team on the outside and I'm arguing that both of them should be on the inside. So it really is, it's funny how God works that these are the conferences that I'm most closely linked to. And it all started with Syracuse being a part of the Big East, the Big East dissolving, Syracuse moving to the ACC, the Big East becoming the American. So really, my coverage of Syracuse branched me out to 27 different schools. That's the long and short of it. And I appreciate it, and I'm thankful for it. And I want to thank the conferences for welcoming me in with open arms and for giving me the opportunity to speak with you and share with you my thoughts and my feelings and what matters from the aspect of, of being in Florida or being in Texas or being in North Carolina or being here at Syracuse, wherever it may be. I want to thank you for your support. I truly appreciate it. With that being said, here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, the college football playoff has been decided. Are you surprised, America? Clemson is number one. Here's the crazy thing about this for me, though. For me, just for me. Now, Oklahoma, we have to look at records. Oklahoma, because I'm going to argue a bunch of different things here right now, so stay with me. Oklahoma is 12-1. Clemson's 12-1. Oklahoma's only loss of the season came to a team that was ranked this season, and that team being Iowa State. So Oklahoma's only loss came to a team that has been ranked. Clemson's only loss came to a team who was not ranked ever this season at all, which was Syracuse. So why Oklahoma's not number one and Clemson's not number two is beyond some people. However, on the other side of the argument, Clemson plays in the ACC, Oklahoma plays in the Big 12. The ACC is a lot more talented this year than the Big 12 in the sense, I shouldn't say more talented, they're a lot more productive. Okay, because when you look at the Big 12, I'm going to pull it up right now. When you look at the Big 12 side of things, 
They had Oklahoma, who was good. TCU, who won 10 games. Oklahoma State, not bad. Texas was 6-6. Six and six. West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, all 7-5 and five or 6-6, six and six, right? Kansas, 1-11. Baylor, 1-11. The ACC... 12 and 1, 8 and 4, 7 and 5, 7 and 5, 8 and 4, 6 and 6, 10 and 2, 9 and 3, 6 and 6, 6 and 6. Few five win teams, but no team that won two games or less. There's a 3 and 9 North Carolina, 4 and 8 Syracuse. Those are your worst. So top to bottom, and they all won games. Kansas didn't win any games in the conference. Baylor won one of them. But there was a ton of great games this year. What Boston College was able to do, what Wake Forest was able to do, Louisville surging late, NC State almost winning the Atlantic Division, Syracuse defeating Clemson, Virginia in the way that they started despite the way that they finished, Georgia Tech, I told you, would finish in the top three of the Coastal. They did after having a tough year last year. So there's a lot to be said about the ACC versus the Big 12, and I think ultimately what it came down to, now I'm not on the committee, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm making a hypothesis, I'm making an educated guess that Clemson is number one because, number one, they've played in the college football playoff the last couple seasons. Number two, they're the reigning national champion. Number three... They're in the ACC. Now, this is me spitballing. Okay? Now, Georgia is 12-1, and one, and they're third. I I have issue with this. Now, do I think Georgia's a true number one? No. But Georgia only lost to Auburn, and then they avenged that loss. They lost to Auburn 40-17 to in a blowout loss, and then turned around and beat them by 21. So it's not like they played Auburn and they lost by 23 points and then they came and barely won. They spanked Auburn. They lost by 23 and then they came back and won by 21, almost gaining all the points back that they had lost by a few weeks before. It's a one-loss team. Alabama, 11-1. Didn't play in their conference championship game, and this is where we're going to have the argument. But you can argue Oklahoma, Georgia, or Clemson to be number one. Like I said, I think Clemson gets the number one ranking in the college final college football rankings to be the top team in the college football playoff because they've played the last couple of seasons. They're the reigning national championship champion. They made it to the national championship on more than one occasion. They only have one loss. And after losing to Syracuse, they haven't lost a game. And they completely embarrassed Miami, who is who was an undefeated team a couple weeks ago. That's why I think they're above Oklahoma. But Georgia, you can argue that Georgia avenged their loss against Auburn. Auburn beat Alabama. Georgia's been very strong lately. But Alabama, now, let me preface this by saying that I knew Alabama was going to be in, for the most part. Okay? I had very little doubt that Alabama was going to be in. Reason being, again, Alabama is the darling, like Clemson, of the college football playoff. If you have a team, if Alabama has one loss or no losses, they're going to be in the college football playoff, okay? That's how I feel. They're going to be in the college football playoff. They take precedence over pretty much everybody. 
Ohio State, Wisconsin, Auburn, USC, Penn State, Miami, none of them make it. Miami, they weren't going to make it, okay? They were 10-2. and two. Let's call it what it is, though. Miami got embarrassed, spanked, just taken down those last couple weeks by Pittsburgh, unranked. Totally embarrassed by Clemson. UCF is 12-0. and 0. And you're going to tell me that Miami's better than them right now? UCF should have ended in the top 10. I knew they weren't going to let them in the college football playoff. And that's some BS to me. Well, they'll never win, Dan. They can't. Okay. Well, why don't you let them play the game? This is the thing about these schools. You want to build respect for the American? They have to do their job. What's in their control is to win games. They did. One team out of 130 FBS schools is undefeated at the end of the year. That's UCF. So, you told them they need to win, they won. You tell them that they need to play an out-of-conference schedule that gives them some challenges, the American Athletic did that this year. You tell them that even in UCF's case, playing one less game this season because of the hurricane, they still have to impress you, and we're not going to pull any punches. They go 12-0. and 0-12-12-0, first team ever in the history of the FBS to ever do that in a two-year span. So you're telling me UCF is not better than Washington, is not better than Miami, is not better than Penn State right now. Penn State, well, you know what? We can argue Penn State the other way because the two losses that they had were close and they were two ranked teams. So, but I would love to see Penn State play UCF. But you're looking at the fact that UCF, bare minimum, should be in the top 10. Okay, that's an argument I'm going to make. Because Miami has floundered. Miami has completely lost control and fell off the wagon. Washington hasn't shown me much of anything. I'm happy that UCF was at least put over the Stanford team that lost four games this season and the Notre Dame team that lost three games this season and the TCU game team that lost three games and Michigan State who lost three games and LSU who lost three games and Washington State who was above them forever who lost three games and Oklahoma State who lost three games. Now Memphis being 10-2 and two, and the only team they lost to is UCF why they're behind Oklahoma State, Washington State, LSU who lost to Troy, I don't know. The funny thing about this is if the American Athletic Conference was given more respect, Memphis would be in the top 10 at 10-2, and and UCF would be in the college football playoff at like 2 or 3, if not 1. UCF didn't lose to an unranked team this year. Clemson did. UCF didn't lose on the road. Oklahoma did. UCF didn't have to avenge a loss. Georgia did. UCF played in their college football championship or a conference championship game. Alabama didn't. I'm just stating an ob- I'm just stating the obvious facts. That's all I'm doing. I'm stating obvious facts. And people are going to argue. They're going to be like, Dan, well, it's UCF. Look at who they played. Oh, my God. They stank. Look at how they played. They didn't play anybody. Oh, my gosh. They were terrible. Do you know how hard it is for any team of any athletes anywhere to win every game they play? And not only win every game they play, but two years ago, they didn't win any games. None. Embarrassing. So you have FIU out of conference, they win that game. At Maryland, they win that game. 
They blow out Memphis's offense, who didn't lose to anybody else this season. They blow out Cincinnati. They blow out East Carolina like they're supposed to do. Like Oklahoma's supposed to do to Kansas. They defeat Navy on the road, which few people do. They beat Austin P by 40. LSU didn't do that against Troy. They lost. They beat SMU in a close game. They beat Connecticut in a blowout. They beat Temple in a blowout. Who's been to the last two AHC championship games? Granted, they're under a new coach. I understand that. And they fought off a guy who should have been a Heisman candidate for years, Quentin Flowers, 49-42 to in the battle for Florida a couple weeks ago. Then they fight off Memphis in double overtime in by far the best game that was played over the weekend. What other games were close? Shall we go to the schedule? Let's go to the schedule. Just for fun. Okay, championship week. Clemson beat Miami 38-3. I'm sure that was a riveting game. Georgia beat Auburn 28-7. Oklahoma beat TCU 41-17. FAU beat North Texas 41-17. Okay? Those are the other games being played. On Saturday, December 2nd. The only game that I could say besides that one that was watching on the edge of your seat is Ohio State and Wisconsin. But I didn't think this game mattered in the college football playoff. Because I didn't think either team was getting in. Because if you say Wisconsin's good as an undefeated team, then how could you not say that about Central Florida? Wisconsin played good games at the end of the season. Teams that were ranked at the end of the season. That's who Wisconsin played. They didn't play a tough, meaty schedule. They played Utah State. They played FAU, who's been good under Lane Kiffin. They played BYU, who was not good this year. They played Northwestern. They played Nebraska, who got spanked this year. They played Purdue. They played Maryland, who UCF also beat, but they played Maryland at home. UCF played them on the road in Maryland. They played Illinois. They played Indiana. None of these teams are ranked, FYI. Then they played Iowa, who is ranked 20th. They played Michigan, who ended the season with a record of 8-4. and four. So not a bad record, but not the Michigan that people hope for. They beat Minnesota, oh my goodness, 31 to nothing. What did Wisconsin do this year? If you look at Wisconsin's schedule and you look at UCF's schedule, you say, okay, so what's the difference? Well, they played Michigan and Iowa. Okay. Well, Michigan and Iowa, let me just let me just do this for fun, shall I? Michigan and Iowa. Neither one of them is ranked in the final college football playoff rankings. UCF played Memphis twice. And Memphis has been in the college football playoff rankings pretty much all the way through, right? They're still in the final rankings at 20. So how do you argue Wisconsin without saying that UCF has a better argument? Because they do. 
So Wisconsin doesn't get in and UCF doesn't get in, but in my opinion, UCF should be above Wisconsin. UCF's playing Auburn in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl on January 1st. They deserve a January Bowl. They've more than earned the January Bowl. Now, the selection committee chooses the college football playoff, and then there is the selection committee bowl games, which is the Peach Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Cotton Bowl. Auburn and UCF will take uh, will go up against each other on January 1st. It's the best one out of all of them. Because you have the Cotton Bowl, and, and I say the best one in the sense of, typically, the later bowl you play, the better it is, the higher stakes it is, the more respect it has. Typically. Now, the Chick-fil-A, and that's no disrespect to any other bowls, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta, I appreciate every single one of them. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl holds within it a lot of weight for UCF. And they're playing Auburn. Now, if UCF beats Auburn, that would mean that they beat the team that's 7th in the final college football playoff rankings. Right behind Wisconsin, who I think UCF is better than, argument's sake-wise. And then there's Ohio State with two losses. So if UCF wins this game over Auburn, you can argue that UCF should have been the team right outside of it, if not in the college football playoff, depending on how they win. Because Auburn beat Alabama. And Auburn beat Georgia, who are both in. I'm just saying. I am just saying. That's all I'm saying. So we can argue UCF up this chart, especially if they beat Auburn. Should the Big Ten be upset? I'm not going to tell you not to be upset. You have three teams in the top ten. None of them are in the college football playoff. I will say this to you, as I just said with Wisconsin, if you're putting Wisconsin in, you got to put UCF in. Penn State? Penn State wasn't going to get it, okay? Because Because Ohio State beat them. Now, granted by a point, but Ohio State beat them. So Penn State wasn't going to get it. Iowa State lost to Iowa, and they lost to Oklahoma. So losing to Iowa, that hurts you. Okay? It hurts you. It does. And then losing to Oklahoma and being embarrassed in Ohio in that game where Baker Mayfield put the Oklahoma flag right at the center of the O at Ohio State. That affects you when you're looking at both of these teams. Because Oklahoma's going to make it if they win the Big 12 championship, which they did. And Ohio State's on the outside looking in. Like like I said, Wisconsin, if you're going to argue Wisconsin, you're going to argue UCF. I don't think the committee wanted to put Wisconsin in and then have to hear about the argument of UCF. So you just keep them both out. Ohio State, as much as they won the Big Ten Championship, they weren't getting in this thing. Because Clemson wasn't moving, and since losing to Syracuse, they've been immaculate. Oklahoma's not moving with Baker Mayfield. Georgia won the SEC. So like them or not, they're going to be in it. Alabama took this last spot because Alabama had one loss, one blemish, that came at the end of the season, in their last game of the regular season. One blemish. And the committee probably, and again, because it's Alabama, 
they're gonna they're gonna make some excuses for Alabama more than other people. Oh, well, they have a lot of injuries to their defense. Well, they only lost one game. At the end of it all, Alabama only had to move up one spot. Ohio State had to move up four to get in. It wasn't going to happen. I would argue Auburn as a three-loss team because they could create some havoc. I can argue UCF because that offense would be tough against anybody. But at the end of the day, Alabama gets in over Ohio State. And how are you going to tell me that Ohio State is better than Alabama? Well, Dan, they won their championship game. I understand that. But Alabama didn't lose to an unranked team. And Alabama doesn't have two losses on the season. And beating beating Wisconsin doesn't hold a lot of weight this year. That's what ultimately happened. The Big Ten Championship didn't matter because it didn't hold any weight. Do I think that Alabama 100% should be in? No, not 100%. But again, if I can argue Alabama to 90%, the committee's going to take care of the other 10% because they seem to like Alabama. So Ohio State fans, if you're upset, I understand your sentiments. At the same time, please understand that Alabama has one loss. And one loss or a lot. And the thing is, Alabama's got one loss, so does everybody else. There's nobody undefeated in the college football playoff top four. There's nobody. So you look at that brass tacks and say, well, Ohio State's got two losses. Wisconsin didn't win the Big Ten Championship. Auburn has three losses. USC has two. Penn State has two. Miami got spanked and embarrassed in the last two weeks of the year. Washington has two. The case for Clemson was done. Their win over Miami was so convincing that they look like the favorite to win the championship, hence being ranked number one. Oklahoma's got the Heisman guy right there, Baker Mayfield. They only have one loss this year. Georgia only has one loss, although I do think they have weaknesses. And then Alabama, Alabama was set up to potentially play Georgia for the SEC Championship Part 2, a.k.a. the college football playoff finale. At the end of the day, wins and losses, Ohio State had one extra loss. And Ohio State's loss to Oklahoma, that affects this. And Iowa losing, not just losing on the road to an unranked team, or pardon me, Ohio State not just losing on the road to an unranked team, but losing to Iowa by 31 points. How do you come back from that? And Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama, said, yeah, I tried to influence the college football playoff. He wanted to put his case out there and say the whole body of work. He said, quote, you want to create awareness about your team. If we would have lost to an unranked team in the SEC by 31 points, we wouldn't even be in the conversation. And he's bringing up my exact point of Ohio State's loss to an unranked Iowa. So, you know, in Alabama's worst year, they're still Alabama. 
And when I say worst year, I mean of the last three years, the year where they don't look untouchable. The danger is that once you let them in, they can wreak a lot of havoc. It's going to be a good college football playoff. I feel good about this. I think that these, there's a, I think any one of these teams could hoist the trophy. I still think Georgia is the weakest link. And I know they only have one loss, so I know it's hard to say, but I just, I feel like Georgia's either going to blow you out or potentially get blown out. That's how I look at it. And they're playing Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma in the first game. But Clemson and Alabama will not be meeting in the national championship. Unless one of the teams wins and the college football playoff committee says, okay, we're going to make it (laughs) double or nothing. But putting UCF, I understand they weren't going to put UCF in the top four because they don't have respect for the American, which I believe is wrong. But the thing is, when I'm making my rankings, I know right and wrong, and I know my arguments, and I also know the MO of the college football football playoff committee. I would like to think through research, you kind of get a feel for them. So I knew they weren't going to put UCF in, so I wasn't going to turn around and say, okay, yeah, UCF's going to be there. But... To not have UCF, at least in the top 10, above Miami, who they were both undefeated. Let me me remind you this. Two weeks ago, Miami and UCF were the only two teams left undefeated in the state of Florida and were two of three teams, if you included Wisconsin, in the nation of 130. There's no way in hell that the way that UCF has battled the last two weeks that they should be below Miami. No way in hell. I'm just saying. We'll take a fast break and we will come back with much more in the conversation here. Coming up in just a little bit, now that we've spoken on the college football playoff, we will get, and we're going to have plenty of conversation throughout the week. We're not done, folks. Thoughts from the American Athletic Conference Championship double overtime game in just a moment. This is a wake-up call fast break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalwear, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or HondaCity-CNY.com. It would be a pity. 
For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to have you here on the broadcast and appreciate you tuning in as always Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. As we continue in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is my absolute and positive pleasure to be bringing to you in today's broadcast conversation on college football, the college football playoff, my thoughts on the college football playoff. Listen, the brass tacks of it all is Alabama, if they only had one loss, even though they didn't play in the SEC championship game, you know, the committee is going to look at it and say they had a bad moment. It was, and I should, I gotta, I gotta, I am not in the room of the committee. I'm not sitting with the committee on a day-to-day basis. Okay. But what I will say is you pay attention. And when you pay attention to this committee, they like Clemson and they like Alabama. They have one mistake each. That's not enough for them to keep them out of the college football playoff. Oklahoma's playing well, and like I said, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner. Georgia did everything they were supposed to do. The only loss they had this season, they avenged with a victory. Now, that being said, I think the college football playoff should be eight teams. And if it's eight teams... Those teams would not be Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Auburn, USC. No. They would be Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. This year, I'm talking. Ohio State, Auburn, UCF. And then we argue Penn State, Wisconsin, USC, and all that good stuff. If this was eight, UCF should be in it. No questions. No questions. And I don't want to keep hearing the argument, Dan, they suck. Dan, they're not playing against anybody. Dan, they're not that good. I don't want to hear that. Okay? Because if they're not that good, then why is the Big Ten basement dweller picking them up right now? Picking up their head coach, I should say. Why is the Big Ten basement dweller, Nebraska, begging Scott Frost to come back, which he obliged? Nebraska was 4-8 and eight this year. Three of their wins came in conference. Okay? They lost to Oregon. They lost to Northern Illinois. They lost to Wisconsin. They lost to Ohio State. They didn't just lose to Wisconsin and Ohio State. They lost to Wisconsin by 21. They lost to Ohio State by 42. They lost to Northwestern by 7. They lost to Minnesota by 35 or pardon me, 33 points. They scored 44 on Penn State, still lost by 12. They lost to Iowa by 42 points. 
Nebraska hasn't just lost. They've been completely and utterly embarrassed. And if Nebraska and the rest of the world doesn't appreciate what's being done in the American Athletic Conference, why call Scott Frost? Why was Scott Frost allegedly on the radar of Florida? Why did UCF want to keep him so bad? Why did Nebraska want him? Because the reality of it all is that the American Athletic Conference has a lot to offer. Every single year their coaches are poached. Every single year. I should bring up the graphic that I had, that I did. When I was speaking to the commissioner a few weeks ago, I told him about the graphic, and he was like, oh, my God. He said, I would love to see that. He said, I didn't even know it was – he said, I knew that our coaches were young, but he said, I didn't know all that, you know, to take a look at the full graphic of it all. I'm going to go back and, and grab it. Here it is. This is this year. I put tenure is a minority, success is a majority. Kenny Amatololo of Navy has been with Navy. This year was his 11th year. Outside of that, every coach was three years or less. Chad Morris, three years. Philip Montgomery, three years. Mike Norvell, two years. Scott Frost, two years. Scotty Montgomery, two years. Willie Fritz, two years. And then five first-year head coaches this season in the American Athletic Conference. And I'm not saying that they've never been a head coach. Five first-year head coaches of the team they're with. Jeff Collins Temple, Randy Etzel in his return to UConn, Luke Fickle of Cincinnati from Ohio State, Major Applewhite in Houston after being the offensive coordinator under former coach Tom Herman, and Charlie Strong of USF after being fired by Texas. Five coaches, almost half, one coach away from half of the American Athletic Conference being a coach in their first year with the program. Yet Jeff Collins is going to a bowl game. At Temple. Charlie Strong's going to bowl game at USF. Two of your first year coaches, right? You have Scott Frost, UCF, going from 0 12 to 12 0 in two years, won the American Athletic Championship, playing against Auburn in the Chick fil A Peach Bowl. You have Mike Norvell in his second year doing awesome things. You have Chad Morris in his third year bringing them to a bowl game. You have Ken Niamatololo, despite the struggles of Navy throughout the season. They're going to a bowl game. Okay? The reality of it all is that whatever you want to say about the American, every single year, they seem to be getting better. Even though their coaches are being poached. Even though they're losing their coaches, they're getting better. Every year, coaches are leaving. Every single year. Yet the team continue. The teams continue to play well, right? Matt Rule did really well with Temple. He leaves, go to goes to Baylor. They're one and eleven. Jeff Collins is six and six to go to a bowl game. Tom Herman goes to Texas, leaving Houston. Houston's going to a bowl game with a record this season of 7-4, and four, having played one less game because of Hurricane Harvey, Texas is 6-6, six and six, and they're going to a bowl game. 
So Tom Herman leaves, he goes to a bowl, and so does his successor. Willie Fritz was one game away from going to a bowl game in his second year at Tulane after they struggled like crazy last year. We've discussed Scott Frost. Mike Norvell, Justin Fuente did amazing things with Memphis, and there was no drop-off with Mike Norvell, who beat UCLA this year. And Justin Fuente, a couple years ago, was the hottest name in college football as an available coach. And Virginia, Virginia Tech snatched him right up. And they're going back to a bowl game, and they were second only to Miami in the conference in the Coastal Division. First year under Justin Fuente, they go to the ACC championship game that I was at at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Not only did they make it to the game, but if I said if there was four minutes left in that game, Virginia Tech would have won it. Hunter Renfro and Deion Kane had to have these colossal grabs, and Deshaun Watson had to play out of his mind for them to win that game. And I don't want to take anything away from Clemson. I'm just saying. Virginia Tech looked like they were well out of this game in the first half, and they surged all the way back. This year, they almost went back to the ACC championship game. Two years under Justin Fuente, first place and second place of the Coastal Division. Mike Norvell takes over at Memphis, and Memphis is in first place of the American Athletic West Division. They play in their first ever AAC championship in its three-year institution. They're 10-2 and overall. And last year, they ended the season 8-5. and five. So in his first season, they were 8-5 and five and went to a bowl game. In his second season, they're 10-2. and two. They've only lost to one team, which is UCF, twice. They played in double overtime in the AAC championship game against UCF, losing 62-55 to 55 at UCF. Played in their first ever AAC championship game and, and are now playing Iowa State. In the AutoZone Liberty Bowl on Saturday, December 30th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. So coaches keep getting poached from the American, and then the institutions within the American keep making really good decisions on who they pick up. And it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. So, again... If the American is so bad, then how come the Power Five wants to poach their coaches? And how come when their coaches get poached, they find other coaches that keep winning? How? How do they do it? They're making good decisions after. The thing is, they're doing all the work for everybody else. Because they're going and hiring a coach, and that coach is doing really well in the conference... And then that coach is getting poached somewhere else. So they're doing all the research for the other schools. They're getting the coach and putting the coach out in front of you on the national stage. And then all you have to do is just offer the coach more money and an opportunity to coach program in Power 5. What I'm excited about, though, is the day that the American Athletic Conference, when somebody gets a job offer from Texas or Ohio State or... Miami or South Carolina and says, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm staying with Memphis. I'm staying with SMU. I'm staying with UCF. I'm staying with Temple. I'm staying with South Florida. That would be nice. That would be very nice. 
So going into this game, and like they said, you can you can read the full story on the game by going to wakeupcalldt.com and clicking on the right now page. Or you could scroll to the bottom of the home page and you can click right on the quick links to the American Athletic Conference. It's got the American logo and it says offering a home for 12 institutions. You just click there for content and you can go right there as well. And you can read up on it. So the third AAC championship ends in double overtime. By far the best game that was ever played in the AAC championship with no disrespect to Houston and Temple or Temple and Navy that happened in the first two years respectively. This game was back and forth like crazy. It was absolutely amazing. You got to read the full story because the full story has everything in it. But, you know, I just want to go into the fact that, you know, this game went back and forth so many different times. I want to get into the game here. This is by far, like I said, it was by far, unless you want to argue Ohio State and Wisconsin, this was the best game that was played on championship week. To go back to how this game started off, it was 10-0 UCF. And then 10-7, thanks to a Patrick Taylor touchdown on the ground. He he had a huge 30-plus yard burst, and then he had the three-yard touchdown afterwards. Then Jordan Atkins, who I interviewed at the beginning of the season, he got <clears throat> UCF back on the board, 17-7. UCF scored on their first four possessions, and then they turned the ball over three straight times. So their, third, their fourth uh, possession that they scored on was a Traquan Smith 50-yard pass, 24 to 14. Then they made a bunch of mistakes. Those mistakes turned into a touchdown, a touchdown, and a field goal by Memphis. The game was 31-24 Memphis at halftime as Memphis took over. And then in the third quarter, not even two minutes in, Mackenzie Milton comes out. He throws a touch error. He runs the ball in from 16 yards away, 31-31 tie. They get three touchdowns in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, they allow Memphis to surge back again after they make mistakes. It's crazy. UCF started off the first quarter and the first four possessions charging. Then they made a bunch of blunders. Then in the second half, they started off charging, and then they made a bunch of blunders. And every time they made a blunder, Memphis capitalized off of it to force overtime. Memphis gets the ball first. They score. UCF responds. Then UCF scores because they start off the second overtime on the Otis Anderson one-yard touchdown run. And then it all came down to Trey Neal. And Trey Neal taking that ball out of the sky and canceling out any hope for Memphis. That interception in overtime clinched it. And you're going to hear from Trey Neal in just a moment in our one-on-one conversation, as well as Scott Frost's response to me in his last ever press conference with UCF, and Riley Ferguson on the other side of things for Memphis, what he had to say about Anthony Miller, who came up huge in this game. If not for Anthony Miller and his heroics. Now, Anthony Miller didn't hold on to a couple of these, or else we'd be talking about a Memphis team, potentially, that won this game. But the ones he did hold on to, he had 14 catches. Closest person to him on his team had six, Tony Pollard, the running back. Anthony Miller, 14 catches, 195 yards, three touchdowns in the game. Riley Ferguson and I discuss his amazing target in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family. My family. 
their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Pennant Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands with fan hands. The ultimate sports fan accessory. Find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on fanhands.com where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear fan hands. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCall. 
DT, happy to be here with you in the broadcast and appreciate you being a part of today's show and appreciate you being a part of the show weekly, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It is now time in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, to, you know, have that... It's tough. It's it's really tough. You know, this conversation... It's tough for me. And... <clears throat> I say that because of the fact that... I actually care. You know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I care. I care about the kids that are in each of these programs, even the programs that I haven't spoken with yet or interviewed yet. I care about these guys. I care about their health. I care about their well-being. I want them to do well. I want them to be taken care of for the rest of their lives. You know, I want them to do what they need to do to be successful. And what's really hard for me is that I've had the opportunity to speak with these players and be around these players. And it has been it, it... I don't I really honestly don't. I don't have words. It's very very hard. I'm happy that Nebraska I should say this. I'm happy that Scott Frost gets returned back to a place where he played. I'm happy that Scott Frost gets to go back to his alma mater. I'm happy that he has that opportunity. At the same time, I saw a human being that reminded me of me. In the sense that if you're in tune with your emotions... Which people should be. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Strongest people in this world are in touch with their emotions and in control of their emotions. When you looked in the eyes of Scott Frost in this final press conference, you knew that he was going. Because he was extremely emotional. He was extremely emotional. He was red in the face. He had tears in his eyes. Voice kind of shaky. You could feel it. You could sense it. You knew it. You knew it. And... You feel for a guy like that. Because it wasn't about, oh, I just want the money. I'm going to go. See you later, guys. It, it wasn't about that. It was go back to the place where you played and coach the future players. Or stay and coach these guys. Leave the guys you love for a university that you love. Tell me that that's an easy decision to make. It's not. And to see 
what's going on. In collegiate athletics. This happens all the time. But you didn't hear a coach just leaving in the middle of the night, right? Now, I think Nebraska should have had some respect and common human decency to not take a time when UCF is finally, and the American Athletic is finally getting the national exposure that they should have had all year when they're on television for the American Athletic Championship game this past Saturday, December 2nd, to take that moment, to take that spotlight and steal that spotlight, to turn it on themselves. Oh, are you enjoying Scott Frost? Are you going to enjoy him in red? Are you enjoying Scott? Because it's going to be da-da-da. The fact that people couldn't shut up and stop for two hours, three hours. The fact that Nebraska's front office couldn't keep their mouth shut. Just have some respect. Because Nebraska, the day that Scott Frost decides to leave you, potentially... Do you want to hear about it all week long going into your championship game? Do you want to hear about it before your bowl game? Do you want it constantly bashed against your head as you're trying to prepare to play football? Probably not. Probably not. And the thing is, people think a certain way when they're doing it to somebody and they think another way when it's being done to them. And what I know about college football and athletics in general, whether it's pro or college when it comes to a coach, is that some coaches leave in the middle of the night with no, re- with no conversation. Some coaches make decisions and they involve nobody. They leave, it's over, players find out on the bottom line on television. Players get traded in the NFL without a phone call from anybody. They see it on the bottom line at 3 a.m. on television. Scott Frost wanted to talk to his players. When we went into the locker room after Scott Frost's final UCF postgame press conference, there was like four players there. Everybody was gone. They were outside talking with family, this, that, and the other. Scott Frost took the time... to want to be around the guys. And his emotion is not the emotion of somebody who doesn't care. His red in the face, tears in his eyes, shaky voice was not the response of somebody who can't wait to get a couple more million dollars a year on his contract. It was somebody who never might have known that he was going to fall in love with the place as much as he did. But like he said, he goes, I can't see me selling my house. He said, I'm probably going to retire down here because I love the community and I love the people and I love these kids and he loves the university. I don't sit with Scott Frost in his house. I'm not up late at night talking to him at the kitchen table. 
but I would not imagine that this was an easy decision for him to make. And I would have loved if Nebraska had pumped the brakes. I would have loved if the media didn't talk more about the shirts that were being printed for Frost to come to Nebraska than they did the American Athletic Championship game. I would have loved if five seconds after the AAC Championship was won that people weren't already like, okay, so let's write our Nebraska story. Now, I reluctantly, you know, had to prepare for that because college football works very quickly in the world we live in today. But just like when it comes to a recruit, and anybody that's ever said to me, Dan, you haven't been first to this recruit or first to that, or why didn't you say this? I mean, these people are stupid. The overwhelming majority of people that complain are very ignorant people. I haven't met a lot of people that complain about stuff like that. I mean, the thing is, some people think they know everything, right? Because of social media, they're a reporter, they know it all. How could you not know this, Dan? How could you not have said something about this? The fact of the matter is, I have conversations with each recruit individually. And when a recruit says to me, hey, and this has happened to me, it's happened to me recently, it happens all the time. Recruit said to me, he said, hey, there's a lot of news out there that I'm going to go to this other school. I'm not. I'm staying with Syracuse. Can you please not say anything? It's three days away. I'm trusting you. I didn't say a word. Any other person want to put it out there, screw that kid. Who cares? But I don't think that way. I don't live that way. It's not who I am. He asked me to allow him to announce on his own. And I gave that to him. Now, I could have gotten more clicks on my story. I could have broke the story. ESPN and Fox and this, that, and the other could have been wakeupcalldt.com, Dan Store Broadcast Media, da, da, da. They knew this information, blah, 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 first reported by. But I don't care about all that. What I care about is the relationships with the kids. And I care about them having their moment. So if a coach is leaving or coming, yeah, I want to jump on something. I want to have the information out there, but I want to be respectful. And in how I ask the questions, what questions I ask, when I ask them. Everybody's fishing for a story, right? But common human decency, which I guess people in the media don't have, some of them. Not all of them, some of them. The American Athletic Conference should have been center stage. And it's deplorable for the people that didn't let it be on Saturday, December 2nd. It's deplorable that the game and the double overtime was talked about for 15 seconds, maybe. It's deplorable that the coverage was all about Scott Frost in Nebraska. It's deplorable that certain people didn't keep their mouth shut and allow Scott to go talk to his players individually or as a group or whatever. And if I'm Scott Frost, the first thing I'm doing in Nebraska is saying, thanks for taking me back. Can we please discuss the facts that 
I would appreciate an apology. I mean, in all honesty, and, and well, Dan, he could lose his job. He's not going to lose his job. They desperately need him. What are they going to do? They're going to tell him that he can't be there. If I'm Scott Frost, the first thing I would have said when I got there was, I wish you had more respect for my players and I. With that being said, I'm happy to be here. I just wish that you had more respect for them. Because they deserve it. They deserve it. I don't know all the players on UCF, but what I do know is I'm a human being. And that type of heartbreaking news should be told to you from the horse's mouth and not from a bunch of sheep running around like crazy on social media. Moving forward, and to make it about the game, and that's what we're going to do right now. On the losing side of things, but (laughs) not for lack of effort by any stretch of the imagination, is Riley Ferguson. Riley Ferguson has been a phenomenal quarterback. Now, remember Memphis had Paxton Lynch, okay? Paxton Lynch, I know he's been injured, and I know that things aren't going well in Denver. I don't think that's an accurate sign of Paxton Lynch. But look at everything Paxton was to Memphis. Riley Ferguson took over, and in a 62-55 double overtime loss, Riley Ferguson threw for 471 yards, completed 30 of 42 passes, had four touchdowns to one interception to lead this team in a double overtime. Anthony Miller, as I said before, had almost 200 yards receiving and three touchdowns, made some unbelievable catches, and had plays on the ball that you wouldn't think any receiver should even have any business having a play on the ball, but he did. I asked Riley Ferguson about his wide receiver, Anthony Miller. This is what he had to say. Man, he's everything. You know, he he gets us going. He's one of the, he's one of the best players on our team, but at the same time, you know, he, he's one of the hardest workers on our team, so everybody respects him. So I think that's the main thing. People can look up to him and, you know, he, he carves away for everybody, and we just follow him, and, you know, all the other seniors are trying to do the same thing as well. That coming once again from Riley Ferguson, the quarterback of the Memphis Tigers, who have a game to play and have another opportunity. The Memphis Tigers will be in action for the Liberty Bowl, and that's going to be in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis against Iowa State, December 30th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. Coming up next is Scott Frost. I had the blessing and the opportunity to be the first one to speak with Scott in the postgame press conference following this victory for the AAC championship. First ever advancement to the championship for UCF. First winning of the championship by UCF. First team to ever go from 0-12 to 12-0 and 0 in a two-year span, and that two years being with Scott Frost. And I spoke with him about his players and asked him what they mean to him he had a bunch of his guys up there and i asked him what his players had meant to him and this is what he had to say well kenzie i had to go get from hawaii and uh can't believe how much he's grown up since he's been here but he's like a son or little brother to me and Traquan was a great player before i got here we're just using him uh, he's got a lot of good football ahead of him, and he's one of the best teammates I've ever seen. Some of the things he does in practice to sacrifice and get better for the team. Uh, I'll be a fan of his as long as he's playing. I think it'll be a long time. Uh, 18 over there has some of the most courage and the biggest heart I've ever seen. Uh, he's going to make a lot of money playing this game. Can't wait to watch him. Trey, uh, nice catch. 
Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's one of several guys that we we thought the, the defense might take a step back this year after losing a bunch of other guys. And not with guys like him on this watch. Uh, these guys are special to me. The last player that Scott had mentioned, he said, Trey, nice catch. That's Trey Neal. Trey Neal on this team for UCF made the biggest play of the game. Trey Neal was able to take care of business. Defensive back on the team, a junior on the team, pulled off an interception by his end zone when Memphis was trying to tie the game. It successfully ended the game in favor of UCF on home or at home on their own field to hoist up the AAC trophy. Trey, after the game, spoke on hate. It's the first thing he said. So there's a lot of haters out there surrounded by hate. And as we're surrounded by hate, we had a coach come to us who told us to love, told us to be good to one another, told us to take care of each other. In a world full of hate, we were taught to do the opposite. In a world full of hate, we were taught to do the opposite. With that being said, it is my honor and my pleasure to bring you Trey Neal in our one-on-one conversation after the game. Just him and I. Then we'll take a fast break and we'll come back with the American Athletic Conference Commissioner, Mike Oresco. I start my conversation with Trey about being surrounded by hate and finding a way through it all to love instead. Oh, I mean, you know, when when somebody hates you, I, my mom always taught me just you show the most people who hate you the most, you just show them love. And, and it's kind of crazy if, if you hate somebody so much that you show them love and they, somebody else is showing you love back to them. It's like, well, what am I doing this for? And I think that's what... My mom always said, love always prevails. So, you know, people are going to hate all the time. There's, you're never going to have everybody love you. So people are going to, if they hate you and you show them love, eventually they'll just stop doing it. You talk about coach showing love, and coach had said that before. From the outside looking in, some people treat it as cheesy, but it's real mm-hmm. and it's genuine. Just what you can say about the genuine care you felt from Scott Frost from uh, day one. I mean, that 0-12 season, like I said, there's so much animosity amongst our teammates. And, and when you come in, people are scared to play. Just because they don't want to make a mistake, you can't become the best player that you can be. And I think when he got here, the guys that he hired, they, they never yelled at us if we made a mistake. Of course, we're going to get it corrected, but they never yelled. They never cussed us out. And I think that's, that's the difference. People, they don't understand how much that can help a person build as a player and as a team when you have people that just love each other all the time. And I think that's what, that's what prevailed at the end of the day. People might think it was my interception, and it wasn't. I mean, it was just how much love we've had from each other from day one and once we understood that if we all love each other who can be against us nobody nobody can stop us you know that's what i think that's what prevailed today the game went back and forth a lot and Mm -hmm. like coach said you beat yourselves Mm -hmm. in the fact of scoring on the first four drives and then giving up the ball three times in Mm -hmm. a row just what you could say about a game like this where you gave Memphis every opportunity to take it, but then you refused to truly give it to them for good. I mean, I, that's a part of the game. People are going to make mistakes. I mean, McKenzie, he said he, there was a two bad ball. I mean, 
if there was a touchdown, you'd be like, oh my goodness, that's such a great pass by him. So, you know, it's, it's, it just kind of goes hand in hand. I mean, but I always tell him, anytime he makes a mistake, I just, he comes off, I'm like, look, you're going to have to make the play to win the game. So just keep on, just keep on keeping on, man. You can't, can't get down. Just like Coach Foster told us, don't be scared to make mistakes. Just keep going and keep fighting. What is it about Coach and this decision? I mean, did you kind of feel like it was already over and done going into the game? How has it been with everything looming? Because obviously you guys showed that you could win mm -hmm. despite the fact that there were a lot of people talking on the outside. Like I said, it's one of those things where this group in here, we love each other so much. We're not going to let outside stuff influence what we have, what our goal was. Before any of this happened, before this season, we all said we want to go 12-0 and and we want to win a conference championship because UCF, since we've been in this conference, we win championships. So I think that's what we, we accomplished and that's what kind of kept it away. This is a wake-up call fast break. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. 8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? 
Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name, so give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt.com. DT, you just heard in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. You just heard from Trey Neal of the winning double overtime thriller champions of the American Athletic Conference, that being the UCF Knights defensive back Trey Neal in a big time game, making the catch of his life over the weekend. And outside of that, you also heard from Scott Frost of UCF at the time, now the head coach of Nebraska, and you heard from Riley Ferguson, quarterback of the Memphis Tigers, my Q&A with each one of them, and I appreciate them and thank them so much for their time and their energy following this huge moment in their history. They should all be proud. They should be very happy. I know that this is, it's obviously bittersweet, And it's obviously difficult, you know, you go from winning to saying goodbye to your coach. I mean, it's you hoist the trophy and then you say, see you later, coach. It's a very strange world that we live in when it comes to the world of sports and how quickly things change, how quickly things move on, how quickly things just go from zero to 100 real quick, (laughs) in the words of Drake. So... It's crazy how this happens. We're going to discuss so much of this coming up here. We're going to the show typically Monday through Fridays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. We're going to extend it today because Mike Oresco is going to join me live, the commissioner of the Amer- commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. And he is going to join me to speak on the American football championship game, the bowl designations for his conference, the college football playoff, and Scott Frost's departure and kind of navigating through this. I know that he's not the institution. He's not the one looking for the coach, but he's overseeing all of this. And obviously it's clear that the respect of the American Athletic Conference is out there, at least when it comes to the coaches. You know, it's it's definitely visible. It's definitely known because look at what happens from year to year. Every single year, somebody wants a coach from the American Athletic Conference. So if it wasn't a good conference and it wasn't a strong conference, why continue to poach it? So we're going to discuss that and so much more. Like I said, today's show will extend out a little bit more with the opportunity to hear from the American Athletic Conference Commissioner, Mike Oresco. He said he could do 11 a.m. today, and I said, why not extend the show a little bit more out of respect for the commissioner, the conference, and get this conversation out to you right away following the weekend. We'll take a quick step aside for a fast break. We'll come back with Mike Oresco. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. 
Hi, this is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. 8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is time to continue the conversation that we're going to be having all week long, which is on the college football playoff, the four teams that were chosen, the teams left out, the bowl designations, what's happening in college football, the shakeup, and how college football can change very quickly from hoisting a championship trophy in an exhilarating game to less than an hour later saying goodbye to your head coach. So the world that we live in is is definitely uh, never takes a, a moment off in the world of sports, we should say. And in not taking a moment off here, we're extending the show this morning to bring on the commissioner of the AAC, who's no stranger to the broadcast, and that is Mike Oresco, who is on hand for this amazing double overtime thriller between two teams that are very, very strong, not just in the conference, but in the nation. Memphis has two losses, but they've only lost to UCF, and UCF hasn't lost to anybody this year as of right now. 
With that being said, Mike, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Dan. Uh, great to be with you. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a, a scene in Orlando. I don't know that uh, you could get a game that uh, had that much excitement. It had pretty much had everything. It really was great, great, uh, great event. When you look at UCF and you look at the historical part of this, there's 130 FBS teams right now, 130 institutions, and no institution ever in the history of the FBS has gone from 0-12 and 12-0 in two years' time. Now, largely in part, that has to do with Scott Frost and recruiting and getting kids to believe and this, that, and the other, and we'll discuss Scott in just a little bit. But just what you can say about being the conference that houses, and this wasn't something that was happened with UCF when they were part of another conference, and you can look back into that history and say, well, they're part of the American now. They did this well, inside of the American Athletic Conference, they lost every game and won every game, went to their first championship game in the AAC and won that game in the best game ever played, in my opinion, of the three-year history of the AAC championship. So just what you can say about having a team that made history from being totally defeated to undefeated in just two years. Well, it's a remarkable journey. There's no question about it. It's unique, and uh, you're not going to see that happen very often, if ever. Uh, one thing, though, uh, and this is not to uh, in, all, in any way, uh, you know, minimize Scott Frost's uh, job that you know that he's done. Uh, but that 012 team was a little bit deceptive. You know, uh, they had been champions two previous years. Uh, George O'Leary had that great uh, Fiesta Bowl team, and then he had another outstanding team the following year. And then it all collapsed. You know, George, um, you know, uh, decided he became AD, and then he retired. And I think uh, there was, you know, some demoralization set in. But there were there were players on that team. They had a lot of injuries. They also had some. You know, obviously people go to the NFL. So th- there was an infrastructure there that you wouldn't normally expect for an 0-12 team. There probably aren't too many 0-12 teams where you could do this with. But that was, a, you know, if you look at the details, that was a little bit of a an aberration. Uh, and they lost a lot of close games as well. And then by the end of the season, they just did pretty much, you know, just, it was a tough uh, road for them. Uh, but Scott came in and did something remarkable. You know, in one year, he gets them to six and six. They lost their bowl game, but they uh, obviously had a good season. And then this year, of course, uh, they're even better. And you're right, he's recruited extremely well. He's got some great, it's a great young team, by the way. That's the other encouraging thing. And, uh, Again, I, we that's the other thing. They are a young team, and so, again, you're gonna, they're going to play a very tough bowl game against Auburn, and regardless of what happens, and I expect them to play well, but regardless of what happens, they have had an outstanding season, and they deserve to be where they are. And and when you look at that, Mike, when you say you know that, that they deserve to be where they are, speaking on UCF, the, the notion of where they potentially could be, I mean, if, if this was a 12-0 and Big 12 team, a 12 and 0 Big 10 team, a 12 and 0 ACC team, a 12 and 0 SEC, a 12 and 0 Pac 12, then we would probably be discussing the college football playoff. You and I have had this conversation before and just just to look at where UCF is, what they've done with the talent that they've done it with. And and on top of all of that, they're in the center of the state that's noted as is quite frankly to a lot of people the best recruiting state in the country where teams from all over the nation are trying to pull those kids from Florida. So to see what UCF has done 
And to see the committee not only not consider them in the top four, but not even consider them in the top 10. What are your thoughts coming off of that? How long is the road of, of respect when it feels like respect should have been earned by now, but there's still a road to go. What can you say about that road? Well, it's, it's going to take time. And, you know, I have tremendous respect for the committee and, and they do a good job. And, and uh, you know, this, this is more, uh, our league is young and we've got to continue to earn respect. Uh, I do think that uh, there are times when we don't get enough respect. I don't think there's any question about that. But, you know, and I understand there are a lot of, of very good teams, you know, in the, in the top 10. But there are some teams I thought that perhaps UCF could have uh, could have jumped over, um, and uh, we don't have the margin for error. You're absolutely right. They're, they're, you know, the best tweet I saw I think last week was it was a humorous one. Mm-hmm. Fellow said that the only way UCF can move up is if they lose to Iowa, Iowa State, <laughs> uh, Syracuse, or Pitt, and otherwise they can't move up. And uh, you know, uh, you know, it, we don't have the margin for error. I understand that. Uh, one thing I, I would argue, of course, and I have, is that our, our league is better than people think, and that the competition in the league is extremely intense. And uh, one thing holding UCF back this year was the inability to play the Georgia Tech game. I think that would have helped them, you know, obviously if they'd won it. Um, and uh, they, you know, they didn't have, um, you know, Maryland ended up not having a great season, but when they played them, Maryland had just beaten Texas and, you know, was a pretty good team. Uh, and you have to take that into account. But they last year was probably the best test case with Houston, and that was mentioned over the weekend on some of the shows. Uh, they obviously beat a number three-ranked team. They beat another number three-ranked team, Louisville. The first one was Oklahoma. And they didn't win in our conference. But I think that tells you something, Dan. That tells you that our conference is pretty tough. You know, it's not easy to get through it. You can you can beat a team like Oklahoma uh, decisively. You can beat a team like Louisville, destroy them. It's 31 nothing at the half, 10 sacks on uh, Lamar Jackson. We're the only conference that stopped Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield in two years. But uh, And, you know, we're always judged by our, uh, our latest uh, – uh, performance and, and obviously the bowl game will be uh, important for us if we win uh, we'll gain even more credibility if we don't win I'm sure there'll be those who say well you know UCF uh, should not have been ranked as high or that that's why they weren't in the top 10 but as you know uh, look at some of the teams in the top four who had who got you know uh, pasted you know got you have these games you know it happens it happens and uh you know, so I don't know what's going to happen on New Year's Day, but whatever happens, UCF's had a great season and they deserve to be ranked highly by the CFP, and they are, they have been. I mean, 12 is pretty good. It's just that we would like to see our undefeated teams have a shot at the playoff, no question about it. We're just going to have to continue to play and continue to uh, to gain credibility, and I think down the road we're going to continue to play those top teams in the, uh, in the, the so-called Power Five. That's really important, and I think eventually we'll get there, but it's not something that happens overnight. Speaking here with the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco. Mike, to look back to the BCS and the switch over to the college football playoff, a lot of people agreed that the Bowl Championship Series was flawed. Has there been, despite the fact that uh, an undefeated team in the American is not in the college football playoff as of yet, do you see flaws? Do you see areas of improvement? Do you want it to include more teams do you think it's good the way it is and it's just going to take time? What is your overall thought process on the college football playoff? Well, I haven't been a proponent of expanding it, and I know expanding it might help us. <clears throat> uh, 
especially if we were obviously to make a push to get one of the uh, the bids. I don't know whether an expansion would include conference champions, but the point is, I don't necessarily favor that. I I, I think it's it's too many games for for kids. It's 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 putting a lot of stress on them uh, to play extra games. Uh, this is you know it's just the pressure on on these uh, student athletes is a lot greater than other divisions and the other thing is it would affect the regular season we've got the best regular season in all of sports and it's very intense and the four-team playoff has made it even better because it's not just two teams you know it's four so you've got another handful of teams that are in the mix uh, as many probably as a dozen at various times uh you know you'd like to see some new blood in there once in a while it seems like the same teams over and over but the point is that's the way it is uh those programs obviously have uh, have been the best but that that um you know the regular season wouldn't have meant as much i think if you had eight teams especially last year you know, had michigan play ohio state and the stakes were huge it was a great game intense but probably both teams would have been in the playoff last year regardless so the game would have uh, been a i wouldn't say a glorified exhibition because obviously that's a great rivalry but it wouldn't have been the same wouldn't have had the same stakes and that would be true too of uh, a lot of the teams uh, that didn't end up in the in the final four uh, so those are my concerns about expansion if it did expand though we would certainly want to be you know a part of that but what we also need dan is a, is a contract bowl game we want to be automatically part of the new year's six now three of the last five years we've played on new year's day the very first year ucf uh was the automatic qualifier in the last year of the old bcs but three of the five years we've been in and we think we probably could have easily been in all five years if we had uh uh, the best teams, but uh, they had an extra loss because they played a tougher schedule. We've got, uh, you know, the computer rankings show us to be, uh, you know, uh, well, well ahead of, of other, you know, peer conferences. So um, it's just a question of uh, continuing our efforts, uh, you know, playing well in the big games. Obviously, Memphis will have an opportunity um and uh and so will uh, usf usf will play texas tech i believe memphis will play iowa state and we need to play well in these games no question about it uh houston's going to go out and play fresno and uh we've got uh an opportunity here and you know you don't always win the games of course but um i think as we as we move forward we just have to uh you know prove ourselves over and over again and that's that's it and then i'm going to be out there of course um you know uh, campaigning for us um i think that uh, in the end you know people will recognize that uh, the league is getting better and better and stronger you look at the great quarterbacks we've had and you look at the quality of play and uh it's uh pretty remarkable and the last two games of course did a lot a lot of good for us you know the nation on abc saw two just remarkable games i didn't think we could do an encore like we did i mean it just it's how could you surpass what happened last friday and, and in some ways uh this game did in the sense that it had everything and it had a double overtime and uh you know the end of the game was was spectacular with the field goal attempts and, and everything that happened so anyway we'll just keep at it and uh, hope for the best to move forward with everything you know each year and and i remember last time we were on the show we were discussing uh one of the graphics that i had brought up and you said you know it'd be great to see it and and right after i had sent it over to you and and that's that's your coaching tenure that you've had so far inside of the american athletic conference you know for this season and that was kenny amatololo is in his 11th year chad morris philip montgomery third year 
Norvell, Frost, Montgomery, Fritz, all second year. And then five, one away from being half year conference, all coaches in their first year coaching the program when it comes to Jeff Collins, Randy Etzel's return, Luke Fickle, Major Applewhite, and Charlie Strong. Every single year, no matter what, in the American Athletic Conference, after surviving what the Big East football used to be, Mike, and turning it into the American, you had three teams that were there in UConn, Cincinnati, and USF, and then you had to put together a whole new conference, a whole new identity every single year. That conference is there. The identity of the American is there. But inevitably, in the last few years, uh, with the American's institution into college football, every single year there are institutions within your conference dealing with changeover. And the argument that you and I have always had uh, together toward the world is, if the American isn't that great, how come the coaches are always going to Power 5 teams? I know that you don't have a decision in who goes to what institution. I know that's up to the individual institution. But just what you can say about, A, every single year having attractive coaches get Power 5 opportunities, whether they take them or not, and B, that even when you lose coaches, you somehow find a way that the pedigree of the coaches that come in are just as good in some cases, if not better. Well, that's the key, uh, Dan. We we have gifted administrators. We always have had them since the beginning of the conference, and they've hired really, really good coaches. Uh, look at Mike Norvell taking over for Justin Puente. Now Mike's name is up for some jobs that are still open, and uh, we hope we keep him, but you never know. Scott Frost uh, succeeding George O'Leary, and uh, all around the league, you know, we, we've had to replace coaches. We hire the best young assistants, and we get occasional uh, an occasional spring of outstanding veterans people come to our league knowing that it can be a springboard now i'd prefer it to be a destination of course uh and for some people it is but in the end you know i'm asked about this it's a double-edged sword having such great coaches and then they get scooped up by the p5 i'd rather have them do that you know build programs do a great job do what tom herman did at houston do what scott frost has done at ucf do what mike norvell and justin puente did at memphis i'd rather have them do that and then move on than, than i would then have mediocre coaches who don't have success and then you know hang around for five or six years and then get let go that's not the formula for a successful league if you're us we have to recognize who we are we're in we're in the middle <clears throat> we're clearly uh, a p6 but we're we're the sixth and uh we've clearly separated ourselves but we we uh can't pay our coaches quite as much and remember the the top programs seem to be coming after our coaches you know not the not even the mid-level programs i mean look at who tom herman was hired by texas you know willie taggart was hired by oregon scott frost hired by nebraska you know matt rule hired by baylor which a few years ago was one of the top teams in the country and, and matt's matt will rebuild that program uh, you know we've had coaches go to uh obviously top places so we when that's happening hard to keep them because you know you know what they get paid dan and and we pay our coaches well we pay them more than you know uh the other g4 um you know and i hate to be in in the so-called g uh range because that is a real impediment for us it's it's how we're viewed i think sometimes in terms of rankings and that sort of thing you know one of my pet peeves this year has been the failure of usf to be ranked in the uh in the college football playoff poll i just don't understand that i mean it's one of those things um again i respect the committee but on this one 
everybody who watched that game on Friday knows that USF was one heck of a team, and they could easily have uh, have been in the uh, in the championship game with a little luck. And uh, they got a great player, not only in Quentin Flowers, but you know, great team, great coach. And the other thing is, the only other game they lost was to Houston which beat Arizona on the road and which was one of our good teams and inexplicably had some losses. You know, you scratch your head or they could have easily been in our championship game. So, you know, again, we, um, we've got, you know, work to do. Uh, but as long as we can continue that pipeline of great coaches, uh, and this year we, I was worried about this year, Dan, I think you and I talked about this early in the season because, you know, we had five new coaches, and, uh, you know, you don't you didn't see the, the UCF thing necessarily coming. You thought they'd make steady progress on the 6-6 season, but you didn't see an undefeated team with all these great young players. Uh, and, you know, you know, you didn't know whether, uh, you know, uh, Memphis was, you know, they were making progress, too. But, you know, you didn't know how far they'd come and Houston, a new coach. Um, but for the most part, we've uh, we've continued that. uh you know, that hiring of, of really top people, and we just have to do it because that's the lot we're going to be faced with. Yeah, and, and speaking here with the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco, to, to go through that and navigate through that, I mean, you've navigated through everything with the Big 12 last year and were they trying to take some of the institutions? They didn't take the institutions. They instead, you know, took some of the coaches. And But the thing is, from year to year, you know, Willie Tagger goes to Oregon for a year. He's brought up in coaching searches. Charlie Strong's only been in South Florida for a year. He's been brought up. Mike Norvell's only been to Memphis for two years. He's been brought up. Obviously, Scott Frost going back to his alma mater of Nebraska. Chad Morris, who has his first good season and first bowl season this season at SMU after being an assistant to Dabo Sweeney over with the Clemson Tigers. There's so much talent. And these coaches, whether they're in the American right now or not, they stay relevant. And I know that we've discussed it a little bit here today, but just what you can say about how smart these institutions are. I mean, it's not just one of those things where the American Athletic Conference just scrounged to take whoever would come in to fill in 12 spots. This is obviously a calculated move. And from the outside looking in with Central Florida and South Florida and teams like Memphis and Houston and so and Navy and so on and so forth, we're looking at a conference that have storied history. And if they don't have rich historic times, they have, you know, positives moving their way right now. And the coaches that have come in and out of this conference are respected throughout the nation. So just, you know, what you can say about making the decision and, and if you feel smarter hindsight 2020 or if you saw the writing on the wall and you saw that that these institutions could really make something special in the conference well i think it's a combination of things and certainly the coaches have been key but one of the reasons this conference has been successful is the commitment and the some things that happened when we were probably experiencing our darkest days you know five years ago dan it's it's hard to remember even back then a lot of people didn't think we'd survive as a conference when those Catholic uh, basketball schools left. A lot of people thought that uh, we didn't have any any football uh, pedigree. A lot of people thought that uh, you know we wouldn't be able to get a TV deal, and therefore 
you know, we'd have no exposure for the league. A lot of people wondered about uh, whether teams would splinter off to other conferences just because they'd be discouraged. Uh, a lot was happening. There was complete disarray back then, but we held it together, and a couple of key things happened. One, we got a TV deal with incredible exposure, and that allowed our teams to build the brand. But it all started back then with the commitment of the administrators in those schools in the conference to be a good conference, to be good teams. Uh, we had six teams, you know, that, that were at once in the BCS or the old Southwest Conference, and we had three or four coming up like East Carolina and UCF and Memphis who really had high aspirations and had some good history but had never sustained it. So we had the makings of a pretty good conference, and once we got the TV deal and once we were able to get enough money to just survive – we had this great commitment, and sure enough, we were also very, very fortunate to have a lot of great coaches in place who had not yet made their mark with their teams. You know, Justin Fuente had a 210 Memphis team that he was rebuilding, and uh, if you look at uh, Temple, Matt Rule's team was 2-10 and 10 or something like that. He was rebuilding. Willie Taggart got to South Florida and inherited a team that was probably, I think, around 210, something with like 2-10. and 10. We had some 3-9 teams. Houston was not what it is now. And, and then Tom Herman took over a few years later. So we were fortunate. We were blessed with good coaches who built good programs pretty quickly. And then the league uh, had, you know, George O'Leary's uh, UCF team gave us some instant credibility. And now, Dan, what's basically happened, as you alluded to, we, we now can attract top coaches because they see it. As, as an opportunity to either do well here or go someplace, you know, where they can make even more money and, and you know, compete for, you know, playoffs a little more easily uh, in the P5. And so we are now a conference that everybody's looking at. We're also the challenger brand that I always wanted us to be. We're the guys knocking on the door. We're the ones everybody's looking at. That doesn't mean, Dan, that we're going to win every game or succeed. The, the success we've had is beyond remarkable when you really think about it. Um, you know, we uh, – We've won these big bowl games, you know, and this year we've got, they gave us a very tough uh, uh, task. You know, Auburn is a really good team. What were they? They were two, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks. I don't know. They may have even reached number one. You know, they obviously, uh, they beat Georgia handily. They beat Alabama. Um, you know, this is a team that's really, really good. It's going to be a very tall order for a, a really good UCF team. So it's not like our road has ever been easy, but we've always competed. We've always done well. And we just, you know, whether we win or lose, we have established something here. And uh, I think down the road, it's going to continue to build. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Everybody's got the commitment. Everybody wants to win. Look at Tulane. Look at what Willie Fritz has done. I mean, they were just a, a half inch away from bowl eligibility on the goal line in their game against SMU. Uh, and Temple, uh, you know, Jeff Collins took a young team. Matt Rule had some great teams, but they were senior. Took a young team and, and, and got them straightened out and got, got them to a bowl. Uh, you know, Houston is going to be loaded next year. and Ed Oliver will be one of the top players in the country again. So, you know, the, you know Luke Fickle is turning around Cincinnati. Randy Edsel will do that at Connecticut. You know, East Carolina will not be down for very long. They've got too much tradition there. Uh, USF, you know, Charlie will recruit well. Uh, they've got some seniors, but they'll be really good again. These are programs now that, that can compete. And we just have to, you know, we're going to have some years maybe that, that aren't as good as others. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I want to manage expectations, but I do think that we've got a great future. And I just want our, our accomplishments acknowledged. I mean, when we do some good things, I'd like 
people to recognize it, and uh, that's that's my job. But I can't do that without having the uh, foundation, and the foundation is a tremendous achievement of our teams and coaches. Speaking here with the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco, and two questions in closing. The first one is the the notion of the bowl game when a coach has already accepted a job with another team. Just what you can say now, uh, Danny White had said, the athletics director of UCF, had said, listen, we still have the commitment of Scott Frost and his staff through the bowl game. But I wanted to discuss that with you, just just what your take on, what your take from there is, because UCF, it's a historical season. They're 12-0. and They have an opportunity of going 13-0. and They're playing Auburn, which is a huge test against the SEC. They're in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and the game's going to end up being sold out, most likely. Just what you can say about being in a situation where you have your coach, but you don't have your coach. You're fighting to end out the season strong. Do you like the fact that coaches can shift before the end of the year? Because obviously, whether people say it affects the kids or not, it's hard not to affect the kids in that situation. Yeah, uh, you know, there's just nothing you can do about it. That's the fact of, you know, the facts that we have to deal with. Uh, Coaches will get jobs the minute the season's over. You know, uh, you have recruiting and other things, so it makes it a little more urgent. Remember, uh, you you now have an early recruiting period in December. This is the first time we've instituted that, and I think there were good reasons to do it. I think that will ultimately help our conference uh, in particular. But it means that coaches want to get moving to their new schools, and they want to get hired, and, and, you know, administrators want to hire them the minute they can. Now, this is an unusual situation, and and I'm, I'm pleased that Scott, has said that he would coach the bowl game uh, but there's disruption there's no question about it this isn't a typical situation and, and their preparation probably uh, I, I think Scott is just a, a phenomenal guy and by the way I, I kudos to him for handling this better than you know anybody could have handled it I mean he was great the whole time there were not a lot of distractions this team was focused on the USF game they were focused on the championship game uh, you know Scott Frost is just one classy in- individual and uh, you know he'll 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 do everything he possibly can to have that team ready and to be their coach. And they love him. You can tell these kids absolutely love him. And believe me, I, I think he was extremely torn. I think Nebraska's home, and we all congratulate him on going home. And Nebraska's a great place. Uh, you know, my two sons were, were Nebraska fans growing up. Uh, they have a national reach and Bill Moose is another wonderful guy Bill Moose and I have been friends for many years and he's just terrific he said nice things about UCF and our conference and we appreciate that but it's going to be a little more difficult than it would have been obviously but um, we've had that problem uh, in bowl games where we haven't had the coach you know we've had an interim coach and it's been some disruption uh and it, it probably hurt us a little bit in bowl games over the last few years not not so much the major ones thank goodness but uh we uh we have to deal with that dan that's just the reality of things and i think the fact that scott's actually coaching the game is a real plus and it's a credit to him but uh, but again it's not gonna be easy for him no one's arguing that it would be uh but we'll see what happens you know we're gonna have we got a tall order as i said in auburn that's a really really good team i mean let's face it auburn is as good as any team in the country on any given day they can beat any team in the country so we will we'll we'll be playing the best we're not just playing you know the number eight team or the number 15 team or whatever we're playing the best just as houston played the best in oklahoma last year in louisville and year before that uh or you know houston played uh, florida state in the bowl game they were ranked ninth ucf played i think sixth ranked baylor in 2000 
2014. And again, uh, it's you know this is a younger UCF team uh, than uh, than teams we've sent to these bowl games in the past. Uh, that team that Houston sent was a veteran team, a lot of NFL players on that defense. Uh, same thing with UCF with Blake Bortles and Storm Johnson and all those great players they had. Uh, this is a younger team, but they're really good, and I think they'll play well. But it's not going to be the easiest situation for them, but I have a feeling that uh, you know they'll, they'll do what they need to do as they have all season. And a final question, Mike, before we let you go. is It's kind of an open-ended question. Do you like where college football is heading and really in the sense of the fact that your bowl game should have been front and center and there was all this confirmation all this uh, conversation about nebraska there's conversations during the game there's people making comments there's stories being written and to me it takes away from the kids it takes away from their efforts it takes away from the game itself where i thought that Hands down, that was arguably the best game that was played on championship week, and yet the conversation was Scott Frost, Nebraska. Just what you can say about where college football is heading, and if you'd like to see some changes in when schools can talk to a coach, when bowl games, you know, if bowl games are going to be affected, should they stay back? Should athletics directors discuss things openly? Just where college football is heading, because ultimately these kids went into this game not having spoken face to face with Scott, and yet there was a lot being said about the situation. Well, you know, you'd like to tamp that down if you can, but it's going to be it's going to be hard. You know, uh, the calendar is the calendar, Dan, and when you have recruiting and you have uh, you know the urgency at the end of the season, you know, coaches are going to be. Uh, uh, new coaches are going to be hired pretty quickly. Uh, do I like where college football is going? One thing I'm concerned about is is the way we uh, we fire coaches in the middle of the year, uh, the way we put pressure on our coaches, the way we um, you know, our expectations are a little sometimes ridiculous at, at various schools. Uh, we also uh, are uh, giving coaches very little time you know sometimes a year two years three years i also don't like the fact that it becomes a carousel that a lot of coaches are just looking for the next opportunity right away i mean that's but you know that's human nature too if they can get a lot more money and they can provide stability for their families i understand that too <clears throat> you would like to see you know uh, again a little more stability um you've got some uh, you know the the if we, the more we act like the pros, I think the worse off we'll be. I, I really do think that uh, that's going to hurt us down the road. And I think we've got to step back and say, look, you know, this is still a, a, a college experience. Um, there's a lot of money at stake, a lot of money being thrown around. I think there has to be a perspective on that, too. And, and look, if, if somebody can get the Jimbo Fisher contract, God bless him. I mean, you know, he, he's earned it, and uh, that's all great. But I think right now we are looking a little too much like the professionals in my view and we've got to be careful um, but again some of this is just dictated by the calendar again I think certain I mean, look I thought Bill Moose acted in an extremely classy way Bill was not out there doing much talking about this uh, there were a couple of comments of course and they're always going to be but most people have done a pretty good job on on the uh, waiting there's going to be speculation in the media uh, the fact that the thing leaked unfortunately during our game that, that kind of
kind of thing does happen once in a while. And I thought, you know, I thought, give credit to the ABC announcers, I thought for the most part in both games, they mentioned it, but they didn't belabor it. They didn't go on and on and on. And, and I think they, they concentrated on the great game, and every now and then they would have to mention it because it's a news item. Of course they have to. Uh, so, you know, it's always going to be there. Uh, I think you just have to have a perspective and, and, and hope that around the edges at least we can um, – you know, again, I hate to see coaches given so little time to succeed. I hate to see the pressure on them. I hate to see it get so personal. Um, and you know, obviously, you have some situations. I don't have to name them right now that are really not not very uh, not very sanguine. You know, uh, around the country, and, and that's just the way it is. Um, but uh, finally, in, in closing, uh, Dan, you know, we we've been fortunate to to have great coaches that come through. Uh, they've left a great legacy uh, for their for their programs, and, and that's what really counts: building a foundation. And uh, I think they care about their kids. And moving on to the next job is something that everybody does in all walks of life, and it's just going to happen. Uh, but let's let's celebrate what we have accomplished, and uh, you know, again, uh, we'll see where it goes. That coming from the American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco. Mike, I know that it's always a very interesting year for you, and it will continue to be with bowl games coming up and, you know, with Scott Frost leaving, the next one coming in. But selling this conference is something that you do very well. And like I said, even every single year when somebody wants to count out the American because they lost a coach or this happened or that happened, there's years like this that happen, which I think arguably is the best year the American has seen. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate the rise of the American, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Well, thank you, Dan. Really appreciate your coverage of our league. And I tell you, your knowledge about all of this, it's great to talk to you. And uh, let's hope we have a great bowl season. I think, you know, this is a turning point for our league. You're right, it's been a great year. I hope we can finish it off well. Uh, regardless, though, it's been a terrific year, and we have a lot of great memories. Uh, so thanks, Dan, and uh, again, hope to see you down the road. Take care. All right, Mike, talk to you soon. That coming from Mike Resco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, once again. We went a little bit longer in today's show to make sure that we got Mike on the air. There's so much coming up this week. You know that Tuesday's an NFL day, but it's gonna get it's it's gonna it's gonna get pretty crazy on the gridiron. It's not just gonna be NFL for tomorrow's show. Tuesday, December 5th, we're gonna have a lot going on. We're gonna start off the show at 9 a.m. Eastern time with Bob Casulo, former assistant coach of Syracuse. He's been in the NFL, he's been in the collegiate ranks. Him and I are going to have a discussion on the college football playoff on where the college football playoff sits right now. Should it expand? Should it stay where it is? Is it fair? Are the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world always going to have a slight edge and a better footing than everybody else? We'll discuss all of that and so much more as we move forward. And on tomorrow's show, you're going to hear the ingredients to success, as you always do, brought to you by Utica Pizza Company, which has the wake-up call number one pick, Chicken Riggy Pizza, available in the window right there for you. You walk in, get it by the slice or the pie at Utica Pizza Company daily, 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse. You want to order the pie, pick it up, have it delivered to you, catered, 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060 to call Utica Pizza in North Syracuse right by Sweetheart Corners in the Mains Plaza. They'll be bringing the ingredients to success tomorrow. show at 10.50 a.m. Eastern Time. And we just got a message that one of our listeners is picking up a pie in 15 minutes. So thank you and a big shout-out to you. That's a great message to see at the end of the show. So that's awesome. 
So I, I know that Utica Pizza Company will appreciate the fact that while we're doing a live broadcast, a wake-up call, we get a message that somebody's going to pick up their pizza pie from Utica Pizza within 15 minutes here. So thank you. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you listening to when I tell you to go out and try a company because I only work with the best. So thank you so much for that, and I appreciate it. You want to see all the companies, go to wakeupcalldt.com. Any of the logos, click on them, and it'll bring you to more information on the company, no matter who it is, car company, restaurant, apparel. They're all wonderful. They're all great. They all work very hard, and I'm very excited that they're part of my team. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you to the listeners for being awesome as always. Last note is on tomorrow's show, you're going to hear from Marywood men's basketball and women's basketball coaches. You're going to hear from Enrico Mastriani of men's basketball and my alma mater, and you'll hear from Tara Machaco of women's basketball of my alma mater of Marywood as well. So plenty coming up on tomorrow. We'll fit the NFL in there. The Jaguars are eight and four. Tennessee won again. This is the danger zone for Jacksonville. So we could be we could be barreling toward that final week of the season on New Year's Eve where they have to play each other for the right to win the division. It'll be very interesting to see. And I will be on hand for the Jaguars upcoming games. I love you. I appreciate you. Make sure that you like the page on Facebook at WakeUpCallDT. Follow me on Twitter at CallDT. Follow me on Instagram at WakeUpCall underscore DT. And meet me here tomorrow morning, Tuesday, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. WakeUpCallDT.com has the RSS feed, the Podbean-powered app, as well as, and yeah, Ben McAdoo's been fired. We're going to discuss that tomorrow. That's just happened during the show here that the news came out that Ben McAdoo, the Giants head coach, has been fired. I never, when Ben McAdoo was hired, I remember sitting there going, what? And now I'm sitting here going, yeah, okay. I mean, I just, the Ben McAdoo era for me, it, 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 I feel like there there could have been better. So, whatever. Ben McAdoo's been fired. I hope the best for him and his family. I'm not going to be out here wishing bad on people. It, it just, uh, I'm going to say separately that the hire didn't make sense to me in the first place. So, the firing, I felt like it, you know, I mean, the team has been terrible. It's been inevitable. I just, I just didn't. I didn't get a good feeling with Ben McAdoo. I trust my gut. And when Ben McAdoo was hired, I was like, really, Tom Coughlin to Ben McAdoo? This is where we're going. Maybe he'll surprise me. Who knows? But he didn't. And this is where we stand. So make sure that you listen into tomorrow's show. It's going to be overwhelmingly jam-packed. And this whole week is going to be, we're going to be discussing college football so much this week. Huge interviews coming up. Very, very excited about all that. And a shout-out to Money Waters. Come out and see us every Thursday, game show night, 7 p.m. You will not regret it. It's absolutely fun. Pictionary meets meets Family Feud. There's nothing like it in Central and Upstate New York. I don't think there's ever been anything like it in Central and Upstate New York. It's extremely fun. It's so great. We have a great time every week. It's free to play. We give away a gift certificate to Muddy Waters. The food is awesome. The atmosphere is awesome. And just because it's on the water and it's getting cold outside, please understand, folks, this is not a seasonal destination. Muddy Waters is open year-round. So come hang out with us this Thursday and every Thursday at 7 p.m. for game show night and great food. And I will talk with you tomorrow morning. Oh, there is so much going on. (laughs) So much going on on today's show. God bless it. Go get your pie. Go get your pie from Utica Pizza, 628 South Main Street in North Syracuse. I'll talk to you soon.